from the Athanasian Creed. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Today is Trinity Sunday, uh, and if you don't know this, it's our Feast of Title, and what that means is this is the feast that our church is named after. It's a big day for us. And each year on Trinity Sunday, what we try to do is we try to talk about the nature of God as a triune God, right? One God, three persons. And it's a divine mystery, and I'll be honest with you, if you were in adult form, you might have um, sensed this. It's still nearly as mystery to me as an ordained priest as it is to my four-year-old son. And I, I know that because just last week, we were reading one of his kids' books together, you know, his bedtime stories, and we run across both God the Father and Jesus, God the Son, on the same page. And it about blew his mind. Gabe asked me, you know, because God was like in, in light, and he's like, Dad, who's that? I was like, oh, that's God. I thought Jesus was God. Yes. There's two gods. No, just one. Oh, and by the way, son, the Holy Spirit's God too right? And, and, and to him, it just blew his mind. You know, he, it was followed by kind of that silence the kid gives you when he thinks that his dad's off the rocker. You know, he's like, this guy's lost it. Um, so I did what any good father would do, is I took the Book of Common Prayer, I flipped it open to the Athanasian Creed, and I walked my four-year-old line by line through each of the 42 articles on the nature of the Trinity. No, I didn't do that, right? Uh, I didn't do that. That'd be a bit much. I'll give him a few more years. Although I will tell you, I will tell you that uh, what we're calling the Athanasian Creed is absolutely worth knowing. Um, and, you know, there's an old tradition in the church that it would be read on Trinity Sunday instead of the Nicene Creed. Now, our rector has decided to spare you that this week because, honestly, it is incredibly long and tedious. Um, so you can do that study on your own. Um, but to give you an idea of the way it's structured and how it talks about the Trinity— uh, here, here's a quote from it. It says, The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal, and yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. And then it goes on and, and talks about that and the way that God is created. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one uncreated. Um, uncreated. Uh, the way that God is almighty. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one almighty. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are God, one God. You see what I'm saying? Lord. It goes on and on, and then it says, and it gives, cuts us some slack because it also says, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are incomprehensible, but one incomprehensible. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Trinity is incomprehensible. But I do want to talk about the Trinity a little bit today because incomprehensible does not mean unimportant. Right? Incomprehensible does not mean unimportant. Um, in fact, Way back in um, 670 A.D., there was one council that came together, and they decided that no one could be ordained, a deacon or a priest, unless they had this whole thing memorized. Well, why is that? What makes our discussion about the nature of the God that we worship, of the triune God, so important? Why is it worth us talking about today? Well, there's several reasons I want to give you, and there's probably more. The first is that you and I are all called, just as Paul wrote to Timothy, to be guardians, custodians, keepers of the faith. 
This faith that we have, the Christian faith, has been entrusted to us. You and I, we're not supposed to be innovators with it. We're not supposed to shape Christianity around our own felt needs or our own modern sensibilities. This is a great gift that has been passed down to us. And when we receive this gift, we're to hold on to it, to learn as much as we can about it, and then to pass it along. Because you know what? We don't shape our faith. We're to be shaped by our faith. And we don't own it. We're just stewards who pass it on. So knowing about this trinity that we believe in is profoundly important. The second reason is because we become like what we worship. And I'm going to do a quick rundown in a second of some of the heresies that kind of went along, like how the, how the faith went astray on the trinity, because the church fought about these for centuries. But it's enough for me to say right now that the stakes are high and that the difference between, the difference between worshiping the true God and an idol of our own making is that we will be shaped by what we worship and will have profound impacts on us. So first, we're guardians. Second, we're shaped by it. And third, final reason that we ought to know a thing or two about the Trinity is really simple. You know, being in the presence of God, seeking to know Him and be fully known by Him, entering into that relationship with God, the relationship that the Trinity has with itself, with Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is our entire purpose you ever wonder what you were made for, what your meaning or purpose in life is? That's it, to be united with God. It's the end for which we were made. That's what we were made for. He is our end and our reason for being. And so when we don't want to learn anything about the Trinity or the nature of who God is, you know, it's kind of like taking the modern approach to a relationship, right? It's like, okay, God, enough about you. Let's talk more about me. Does that work in any of your relationships? No. It's, 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 it's narcissistic to do that in the face of the Trinity. It's got like, tell me more about you. Let me learn about you. Let me experience you in your fullness. So our aim for this morning is to kind of reverse this trend. And uh, trust me, it's going to take more than a 20-minute sermon to really dive into the full nature of the Trinity, but we're going to do our best. And I've got two points for our sermon today. Point number one is the danger of heresy and heresy being false belief. The danger of heresy. And point number two is the beauty of God. All right, so let's dive in. We're going to go through a few isms today, and we're not going to have time to focus on them, but I'd at least like you to be able to recognize a heresy when you hear it. So I'm going to do, do a couple isms. You guys ready? Isms would be heresy. So here we go. First one, Ebionitism. This taught that Jesus, catch this, Jesus wasn't, was just a man, not God. He was a really charismatic man, great preacher, got a lot of followers, but he wasn't divine. Do you think this one's still alive and well in some circles? You hear something like this before? This is old. Ebionitism, still alive. You know, and most of the people, I think, who promote this view of Jesus don't understand the fact that we need a Savior. It's interesting. You know, our text for today in the gospel was John 3, 1 through 17. Verse 18, the very next verse, after, you know, two verses after God so loved the world is, it says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Our natural state is a state of condemnation because of our sin. That's just our flat-out natural state without God. So to say, well, he's just a good teacher, and, you know, he'll, he'll show you the way, he'll, deal, he'll help you deal with your problems and kind of sort your life in order like a modern-day life coach or guru. Um, the problem with that, Jesus, is he has no power to save you. You know, if you take his advice, right, your life might get a little better, Sure. 
But the Bible is clear that you are dead in your sin and have no hope in standing in the presence of God without your every sin paid for and your every debt erased. And who's going to do that? You? Well, that's what our second heresy thinks that we can do. Adoptionism. This is, what, this is the belief that Jesus, he started out as a man, like the first one, but then he lived such a perfectly moral life, and he was so supremely virtuous that either at his baptism or at his resurrection, God said, all right, I'm going to elevate you to divine status. Now you can be divine. Anybody familiar with Greek mythology? This is like Greek mythology 101, right? You get a hero, they do something amazing, and now they're God. That's adoptionism. It's another heresy. And, but, but what it teaches is that if you can transcend your circumstances, you too can be saved. But there's a problem with that too. Who among us can follow that example? Who among us is supremely virtuous and lives a perfectly moral life? You know, my hope, by God's grace, my hope is that I'm a better man tomorrow than I am today. But that's not always true. Rarely is that true. In fact, there are weeks and months where for me it feels like it's one step forward and two steps back. Or that like, you know, my, I've got a bucket that's got 10, 11 holes in it, and I've only got 10 fingers to plug all the holes in the bucket, right? And every, every time I move a finger to plug a new hole to fix something else in my life, another one opens up. Do you ever feel that way? You know, who, if, if that's your experience, that's not just my experience, who among us can be saved? Who among us can, can ascend that mountain? Well, maybe a man can't save us, right? Maybe Ebionitism and adoptionism don't work. But here's another one. Maybe a man can't save us, but maybe a demigod can. A demigod. You know, maybe Jesus was just God's first creation, and he was like, like this, you know, empowered to conquer sin and death on our behalf, right? He's like the chief among the angels, or, or you know, he's maybe a lowercase God, but he's, he's right up there just a little lower than God. You know, this is the implication of our third heresy, Arianism. And the implication is that, you know, and, and by the way, Arianism is still alive and well. You're familiar with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons? This is what they believe. It's Arianism. They're not Trinitarian. They're not Christian in any discernible sense because they don't believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Trinity. Arianism is the idea that God just created Jesus just, you know, just below him. And, and surely, but surely, if there's a divine being, right, a demigod, maybe that's enough to save us. Maybe we don't need, like, actual God to come down, but just the, the next best thing. Maybe that's enough to save us. And after all, the Trinity is so hard to comprehend, this, this could at least make sense. But as you can guess, there's issues here too, right? There's always issues with heresy. Here's one. There's an infinite gap between God and anyone or anything else that he creates. There's an infinite gap. It doesn't matter if you're the highest order of created being. There's still an infinite, unbridgeable gap between God and anyone or anything that he creates. Only God is uncreated. Only God is eternal. Only God is almighty. And only God can bridge that chasm. Only God can come down and bridge that chasm and make us partakers of the divine nature, can bring us up into his presence. Only God can save. What about three gods? Tritheism. Nope, Scripture says one God. 
Well, what about God playing different parts then, like different roles? You know, sometimes He's the Father, sometimes He's the Son, sometimes the Holy Spirit. Nope. That's modalism, by the way. And that's, there's no play acting. There's no games with God. Rather, God, the God that we worship, the triune God, is a God who, though lacking nothing, though lacking nothing, came down for us Himself. You know, and, and God didn't come down to save us because He needed to. He's always had perfect fellowship with Himself, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've had, they've had, he's had Himself for all eternity. But the perfect God who lacks nothing chose to save us, and He didn't do it because you're so good or because I'm so good. He did it because He's so good. And at the end of our salvation is being able to be united with Him in that divine fellowship, that relationship that He's had before time began. And it's a beautiful picture, you know. Uh, in my former parish, I had a coworker, and um, my coworker had uh, three sons. Uh, he and his wife had three sons, and then they chose to adopt a fourth child. Uh, and the fourth child um, was a girl that came from a very abusive and very neglectful home. Um, you know, she, she, was, she was afraid to be touched or to be hugged for the first, I think, two or three years of living in, in the house with them because she didn't know what a kind touch was. And it was a really difficult battle to integrate her into the family, but they were patient and loving and kind and stayed with her and poured themselves out for her. And I believe it was just this past year that she actually graduated from high school. And she is a completely different person than she was when she was introduced, when she became one of the family. You, you couldn't even tell that she wasn't one of their own kids because she had learned what love was. She had been brought into a really healthy, functioning family relationship and utterly changed by it. And brothers and sisters, that's our Christian hope. That's the relationship of the triune God that He calls us into, that we would be changed and brought into that family, which brings us to our second point, the beauty of God. Let's look back. I'm going to read one line from our gospel. Uh, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I want to mention a couple things about this because this idea of Jesus being begotten has gotten people in some trouble, right? That's what led to a lot of these Trinitarian heresies we were just talking about. You all tracking with me? You see, the term begotten sounds like God created Jesus at some point, just like Arianism says, but that's not what John means when he uses this term, only begotten. In the Greek, it's monogenes, and it's the same word monogenies that the Greek translators used in the story of Abraham and Isaac when God called to Abraham and he said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, monogenies, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. Now, Isaac wasn't monogenies. He wasn't the only son of Abraham. You know, Abraham also had Ishmael. That was another son of his. But Isaac was the promised son, the unique son, the special son, the son that was dear to Abraham's heart, dearer to Abraham's heart than his own life. And he is the son that Abraham was called to sacrifice. Now, God stayed Abraham's hand, didn't he? 
But he didn't stay any hands when it came to the crucifixion of his monogeny son, Jesus Christ. You know, it was the overwhelming love of God the Father that sent God the Son to take on our human nature, to live a righteous life, to die for our sake, so that we could be united with him in God the Holy Spirit and brought into that relationship. Our epistle today said that we receive the spirit of adoption, right? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption is who brings us into that relationship with God. You know, there's this beauty in our Christian hope that we're going to be drawn into this endless outpouring of love and affection that is shared between the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's what it means. You hear the term God is love in Scripture. You've ever heard this idea, God is love? That doesn't mean that God just loves everything he encounters, right? He's not like some, uh, what do I say, like a lighthouse with like a cosmic love beam that just shines on everything it sees. No, that's not what it is. God is love because God is loving. Love is a noun, but it's also a verb, right? It is an action, and there's an endless love that is an outpouring shared in the Trinity that we get to be invited into. Uh, this idea of unity with God, by the way, there's, a, there's a, a, a church term for it. It's called, the Eastern Church calls it theosis, and we might call it divinization. It's this idea that, um, and we've used this before, that when you take metal, right, and you put it into fire, it takes on all of the properties of fire, of light and heat, right? Just like fire has light and heat, metal has, but has light and heat. And so in that way, when we're brought into the relationship with God, we get to experience this divinization, this taking on of the properties of God. But what happens when you pull it out? It cools down, right? It goes cold. And that's why our focus as our Christian lives, our mission, our purpose is to enter into this presence of God, to experience Him in His fullness and being invited into the Trinity. Now, how this happens is going to be a mystery, right? Because at the end of the day, when we're talking about the persons of the Trinity, we can say what the Trinity is not. It's very difficult to say for certain how God operates or who He is. Paul even writes this New Testament. He says, you know, for now we just see dimly. And then he says, but then I will see face to face. And he says, you know, I will, I will know even as I will be fully known by God. So for now, um, as we worship God on this Trinity Sunday, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let it be enough for us that he has come down, sent his son, not because we're so great, but because he is, and we can be invited into that relationship with him. He has demonstrated himself to us and called us to pursue that unity with him for which we are made. Heavenly Father, you are by, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are by your very nature, love and light, holiness and beauty, all of the things that our hearts long for and strive for, what our hearts have been created for, and that won't find rest in anything else until we find rest in you. God, I pray that you would so call our hearts that we would continue to pursue that unity with you, to be invited into that full relationship of you, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that though we won't experience that until the life to come, that you would give us just a glimpse of it now and sustain us. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. 
To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.